Evening. Before I forget, and maybe you all remember after we get done, I, I noticed that for the Wednesday meals that there's no one lined up for this Wednesday, and Amber, Amber and Brian took Kathy back to school today, so she's not around to make mention of that. So I'll make mention of it, that uh, if you'd like to take on that task of, of feeding uh there's all kinds of words we could use to describe that group of people who come in on Wednesday evening, most of them the children. And uh, if you would be willing to take that on, the sign-up sheet's back in the foyer on the middle table. Just put your name down there, and uh, there'll be a celebration uh, later on in the week that you've taken that on. But it'll be a good thing. Uh, have any of you all ever had a white living room? No? Why not? You know they exist. Well, the challenge is, especially if you have children, is how do you keep a white living room clean? What do you do to keep a light, white, white rugs, white furniture, white everything? How do you keep it clean? Don't allow the children in there and rope it off. I know that. And, or now, here's a question. I'm, I won't ask you to raise your hands on this because some of y'all may have done it or you, you know somebody who did. Another way to keep white furniture clean besides rope it off is to wrap it in plastic. All right? Because you sit down on it and poof, you're down on the floor just that quick. And it, you know the idea of getting something because it's beautiful. We want to keep it that way. And the struggle to keep it clean is really hard because it's white. It shows everything. You can't have the pets in there. We've got a little dog that have black hair all over, all over that in five minutes. It wouldn't last. And I'm not necessarily the cleanest person, and I'm sure I could rub up against something on the outside, bring it in, and pretty soon you've got a trail of stuff all over the place. It, it's just a really hard task. Now, the thing is, we look at that, and it's really close to what goes on in life to try to figure out how do we do this. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, we have the, the, those that surround the throne of God, and you have those that are, are always declaring on and on. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. On and on and on. And, and the elders before the throne throw down their, uh, their uh, crowns, and you know, there's just worship of God on and on and on. But God is holy. Purely, completely Holy. Isaiah chapter 6 gives the same kind of picture. Whenever Isaiah is given a picture of the throne room of God and, and all that goes in, and there he hears the same refrain, that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you hear that refrain and you hear Isaiah's response because if you realize how holy God is, what does it make us realize about ourselves? Isaiah said, oh, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips who lives among a people of unclean lips. Sinful people is what he means. So you hear that and you know that God is holy. And now the amazing thing in all of that, knowing how holy God is and realizing our own sinfulness and how is it possible for us to even have that connection to God is that God himself through Jesus Christ takes us and makes us holy. In describing the church at Corinth, because of Jesus Christ, he says to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, sanctified, made holy. 
and called to be his holy people, that we belong to him. Here we hear described God's people holy. We hear that God's people sanctified in Christ, that every person in Christ is holy. That's the description he gives of all of us. We may realize what our past holds and how we've been in our words and our thoughts and our deeds and how they measure up to what, who God is and, and his holiness. But in Christ, he says that we are holy, that we've been made holy and that we are his children. And if you are holy, he says, don't do what you used to do. Don't conform to what is evil in this world. But just as God is holy, be holy in all you do. That holiness that, that he makes us holy. Now, this, this is a two-way part, a two-part sentence, because he says he's made us holy in Christ. We are his. We are holy completely in Christ. But then he says, because you're holy, live holy. That we take what we are in Jesus Christ and we bring it into our lives and become who God has made us. We're his. And we begin to make that, make that who we are. We change how we live in every way. And because of that, we, we, it's an active thing. It's something that's lived out. That we live holy. So how do we live practically? How do we live a holy life in this world? In a sense, it's almost like saying, how do you make, keep a white living room clean? How do you live holy in this world? And the thing is, is God is our standard. First, first John chapter three. Well, verse one, he says, Oh, look at the love that God has lavished on us that he's called us the children of God. And that's what we are. That's, that verse right there is just an amazing one by itself. But he goes on and says, and here we are as God's children, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall be, see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. That's part of what we do. And because we're holy, because of who we are in, in Christ, he says we, we change who we are. We change our hearts. We work in our lives that I, I don't want this anymore to be a part of who I am. I want to be a different person. I want to think differently. I want to feel differently. I want to live differently in every way. And I look at myself in light of God's word and who he is and say what belongs and what does not. What needs to be taken out and what needs to be brought in. What is it that needs to happen in me so that I am more and more who God wants us to be? Because how many of us in practice are 100% holy? And we're changing, changing that. Another part of it is to watch that, that we don't allow ourselves to be corrupted by others. Timothy, I thought it was interesting that when Paul tells Timothy, don't be hasty in laying on the hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And I think that keep yourself pure is going to tie right into that idea of don't share in the sins of others. Don't make that who you are, part of what you are. You keep away from that which corrupts because we're holy. We want to separate ourselves from that. Over in uh, Revelation 3, 4, he makes a comment of those in Sardis. They've got a big mess. But then he makes this comment, Jesus says, that you have a few people in Sardis who have not yet saw, not not, he doesn't say yet, does he? Who have not soiled their clothes. 
They've not, so they've not been corrupted by everyone else there around them that, that the church in Sardis, he says, there are some who still remain pure, some who still live as a holy people. And so they didn't allow that corruption to, to get into their lives, to change them. Now, when we look at this world around us, it's pretty easy to see the world as being corrupt, isn't it? We can read, does anybody read news anymore? Surely somebody does. We, we read, when we hear the news, when we find out what goes on in the world, when we know that what goes on around us, it's easy to see how corrupt the world is. And how many times, how many times do we say to ourselves, I can't believe somebody would do that? Uh, yesterday, how many times I heard the phrase, I never imagined it happened here. I never imagined. I, I can't imagine why somebody would do such a thing. And we look at the world and we say, oh, what a mess. And so it's easy for us when we look at the, the world to, to think, there's the problem. We need to stay away from that mess. The people around us that can have an impact on us. James, in talking about religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And we look at the world and we think, that's what I need to avoid. Now, the challenge there is, how do we do that? Now, in the past, some folks decided the way to do that is to get away and build their own communities off away from everybody else. And there's all kinds of historical places for this. The monasteries that were built, all these things that go on in their goal to stay away from the world so they wouldn't be polluted by it. And sometimes we'll do the same thing. We don't go off and build homes and cliffs. That would be pretty nifty though, wouldn't it? But in life, sometimes our desire to be holy, I mean, should we build walls? Should we isolate ourselves? Keep the world out there so that we can't be corrupted. There's one little hitch in that. Who does God want us to be? Who does God want us to be? Jesus says, you are the light of the world. If we hide it away, how much of a light are we? And, and to wrestle with, so how do, we, how do we remain holy? How do we become who God wants us to be if, if we're going to be light? How do we put all those things together? And, and that's challenging. That's not easy to do. Here's how, when you look at the Pharisees, when Jesus was on this, in this world and he walked among them, one of the fusses, when he, here in, in Matthew chapter 9, he had called Matthew to be... Uh, a disciple, and he goes to eat at his house, and there's all these folks who have joined together, and the Pharisees go, say, what in the world is he doing? Why does your teacher eat with sinner, tax collectors and sinners? Because in their world, you avoided those. You don't even have anything to do with those people. They'd isolated themselves so they could remain pure and holy. And Jesus was accused of hanging out with the wrong people. But he was holy. Maybe there's a different line we can take to think about this. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, all the fuss, 1 Corinthians, that group that, that Paul is, at the beginning of the letter says, they're sanctified, they're holy, 
in chapter five and all the problems that they've got. And in chapter five, he says, now I told you not to associate with sexually immoral people, not meaning at all the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But I, now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. And when you read what he says there, what he, you hear the distinction he gives in talking about what goes on. Because to be holy, he says, you're looking at the wrong direction. To be holy and who God wants you to be means that there's something you have to be aware of. I, 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 when, until we moved... And maybe we ought to figure out a way to get this going. The block we lived in, we were the old people on the block primarily. I mean, the bar wasn't set very high. I think the only one, well, I won't call any names because there was one person older than we were, but I won't call her out. And uh, But everybody else, young couples, kids, whole whole block of them. And they would, on a regular basis, gather up. Pull the cars up and block all the driveways on one side so the kids can run up and down the sidewalk without straying off into the street. They'd put a couple tents up, bring out grills from this house and that, gather up over in these driveways or two, had a couple of coolers and chairs, and everybody would gather up, and it'd just be an impromptu block party. Now, the way to approach that is, what do you do when your neighbors have a block party? You stay home because they're drinking? Or do you go and be with them? What is it to be holy? But you start thinking about that. It's not just neighbors. We live with, we have coworkers. We have people that we interact with when we go shopping. We're surrounded by people. And then there are all kinds of things that go on, not just block parties. There are weddings, there are funerals, there are celebration of graduations, there are name every event that goes on in life. And what do we do in the middle of life with all those people? I've been to weddings of folks who weren't believers. I've been to funerals of folks that weren't believers. Is that right or wrong? Does that make us holy or not? When you listen to Paul, what does he say? He said, I told you not to associate with folks, and he gives a list. He says, but I didn't mean those people of the world. I meant those folks that you call brother or sister and who live like that. There's a line that we draw, not, not based on the world, but because of of life, that expectation. And I wonder if a plastic life, a life that is isolated from the world, isn't really holy after all. Because you, what do people around us think when we won't have anything to do with them? They think we're self-righteous. And if we are, that's a sin. And we're not holy. Holy. We have to be careful. It's not just the world. We can have sin in our lives without even doing anything at all with the world. In fact, all those folks that hung out in monasteries, there's a lot of proud um, 
monks. There we go. I was thinking hermit in my head. There are a lot of proud, well, a lot of hermits proud too, but a lot of monks that were proud of themselves because of how holy they'd become. And they missed the boat and what was going on. And so when we look at that, we have to, to remember to what, what God has in mind for us. So dig a little bit more into it. In 1 Corinthians 5, just the verses above that, he, he talks about yeast. He says, you know, you're boasting. All the problems that they've got, so your boasting isn't good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens a whole batch of dough? And there's the key. What do we allow to influence us? Who do we allow to influence us? There's a difference between when I sit here with you and when I visit my neighbors. That you have a greater influence on me, which is what God intended than the people I live next door to. And there's the thing we have to watch when we talk about holiness. Who influences your life? Who influences your heart? Because we're supposed to have an impact on each other. When they're back in verse... uh, 522 of 1 Timothy, when Paul tells Timothy that, don't lay on hands too hastily. Don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. The idea is we are here together as a body of believers, and we're intended to have an influence on each other. Jude 22 and 23, he says, be merciful to those who doubt. And he's talking about within the body, the believers, those that we have in common, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Save others from snatching them from the fire to others. Show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. It says we have to pay attention to each other because we impact each other. We influence each other. And the thing about all of this is that whenever we talk about that, that our relationships with each other are intended to build us in our faith, are intended to draw us closer to God. And if we, when we tolerate what isn't supposed to be, it lessens us. When we don't say anything about it, it makes us less. I'm not surprised when we lived at our old house that I had neighbors who misbehaved contrary to what God had in mind. I'm not surprised. They live by a different standard. But I should be surprised that if together we're here and any of us lived contrary to what God had in mind. Because of the impact that we have on each other. So what do we do? What, how, do we, where do we, how do we do? Let me get my sentence down. Where do we start in talking about holiness? In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says this. And, talk, and fussing to the Pharisees, he said, you know, his disciples are going, wait a minute, what are you talking about? And he says, you know, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. He says, do you know what makes us unholy? What keeps us from being holy and pure before God? He says, first, take a look within. Check what's going on within our own hearts. Because he says, be holy. And we're going to be holy. It means I've got to look at who I am before God. We have to watch our heart. Watch what we say. Watch what we do. I I thought it was interesting. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I'm going to complain about that when I get the chance. But... Uh, so, but do you hear why he says to not grumble or argue? 
so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. He tied those together. Don't argue or complain because it keeps us from being pure. It keeps us from being holy. We need to watch our words because our words come from our hearts and they're an indication of what's going on within us. Ephesians chapter 5, he, he, he talks about what we do. It says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Says that's not who we're to be because we belong to God. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure: no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. The way we live our lives, but it starts with our hearts, and our words come from within. Our actions come from within. It says, if you're going to be holy. We've got to pay attention to what we've got going on within within ourselves as a body and within ourselves in our hearts to see who we are and what God has to say. I had to ask myself, and maybe this is the case. When I look around at the world, do you know why the world would influence me? It's because of what I love. John talks about that. Don't love the things of this world love what do we love because that determines the direction we go with our lives what do we what do we really want where's our hope because if our hope is in christ and what he's he's accomplishing in us we will become holy in matthew chapter 25 was about 13 down to 30 somewhere in that range jesus tells a parable But a fellow who's going on a trip and he calls three of his servants together and he gives them each bags of gold according to their ability. And as he goes off, they stay behind. And when he comes back, they give an account of what they what they've done with what he's given them. And the one that had five says, I've gotten five more. You know, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. When he got two, he got two more. Oh, that's well done, good and faithful servant. The third one says, you know, I know. I know what you expect, that you really are a hard master. And I wanted to make sure I was able to give to you what you gave me. So here it is. I went and buried it, kept it safe. And he's told he's wicked. And I look at my life and I think, how much? How much in my desire to try to be perfect, I bury away my life so that I can give it to God so without any kind of blemish on it, without realizing God has us here in this world so that he is glorified, so that he is honored by who we are. And to be holy is to be completely God's in every way, so that when we take our whole lives and we say, Lord, I am yours, do with me as you will. And if it means I live in a place where I'm surrounded by the depravity of the world, I am there to make a difference for God. Where I talk and I tell and I show that Jesus is our hope. And wherever I am, whatever I do, that God is always first and foremost in who I am and everything. And how I speak and how I act and everything within my heart so that everybody knows that He is who I belong to.
It says, be holy. Because you are holy. You are holy. And live in this world as a light to shine for him. If you found yourself this evening hiding that light, or maybe allowing yourself to be influenced away from what God would want in any way, we're here to encourage each other, to, to help each other become who God wants us to be. We'll pray with you and for you if you need that. Or maybe that you this evening need to give yourself completely to God, to be buried with Christ in baptism. You can do that tonight if you'll come now as we stand and sing. Nearer, still nearer, close to thy heart, draw me, my Savior, so precious thou art.
If you weren't able to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, it's been prepared in our fellowship hall. If you'll pass that way while we sing 467, we have an anchor, 467. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife? When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Is it safely moored? Will the storm withstand? For tis well secured by the Savior's hand. And the cables pass from his heart to mine. Can decide the blast through strength divine. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. When our eyes behold through the gathering night The city of gold, our harbor bright We shall anchor fast by the heavenly shore With the storms all past forevermore We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Let's pray. <clears throat> 